Chapter Three of the Enchanted Barn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Mattern. The Enchanted Barn by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter Three. I'm sure I don't know what you will think of my asking," said Shirley excitedly. "But I want very much to know whether there is any possibility that you would rent a beautiful big stone barn you own out on the old Glenside Road near Allister Avenue. You do own it, don't you? I was told you did, or at least that Mr. Walter Graham did. They said it belonged to the estate. Well, now you've got one on me," said the young man with a most engaging smile. I'm sure I don't know whether I own it or not. I'm sorry, but if it belongs to Grandfather's estate, his name was Walter too, you know. Why, I suppose I do own part of it. I'm sorry, Father isn't here. He, of course, knows all about it, or the attorney. Of course, he would know. But I think he has left the office. However, that doesn't matter. What was it you wanted to rent it? You say? Yes," said Shirley, feeling very small and very much an impostor. That is, if I could afford it, I suppose perhaps it will be way ahead of my means. But I thought it wouldn't do any harm to ask. Her shy eyes were almost filled with tears, and the young man was deeply distressed. Not at all, not at all," he hastened to say. "I'm just stupid that I don't know about it. Where did you say it was? Out on the Glenside Road, a barn. Come to think of it. I remember one of my uncles lived out that way once, and I know there is a lot of land somewhere out there belonging to the estate. You say there is a barn on it? Yes, a beautiful barn," said Shirley anxiously, her eyes dreamy and her cheeks like two glowing roses. It is stone and has a wide grassy road like a great staircase leading up to it, and a tall tree over it. There is a brook just below. It is high up from the road on a little grassy hill. Oh yes, yes," he said, nodding eagerly. "I see. It almost seems as if I remember. And you wanted to rent it for the summer, you say? You are、uh, in the agricultural business, I suppose." He looked at her respectfully. He knew the new woman and honored her. He did not seem at all startled that she wanted to rent a barn for the summer. But Shirley did not in the least understand. She looked at him bewildered a moment. Oh no. I am only a stenographer myself, but my mother—that is—she paused in confusion. Oh, I see. Your mother is the farmer, I suppose. Your home is nearby, near to the barn you want to rent. Then she understood. No, oh no, she said desperately. We don't want to use the barn for a barn at all. I want to use it for a house. It was out at last. The horrible truth. And she sat trembling to see his look of amazement. Use it for a house? He exclaimed. Why? How could you? To live in? Do you mean? Or just to take a tent and camp out there for a few days? To live in," said Shirley doggedly, lifting her eyes in one swift, defiant look, and then dropping them to her shabby gloves and thin pocketbook, empty now even of the last precious nickel. If he said anything more, she was sure she should cry. If he patronized her the least little bit, or grew haughty, now that he saw how low she was reduced, she would turn and fly from the office and never look him in the face. But he did neither. Instead, he just talked in a natural tone, as if it were the most common thing in the world for a girl to want to live in a barn, and nothing to be surprised over in the least. 
"'Oh, I see,' he said pleasantly. "'Well, now, that might be arranged, you know. "'Of course, I don't know much about things, but I could find out. "'You see, I don't suppose we often have calls to rent the property that way.' "'No, of course not,' said Shirley, gathering up her scattered confidence. "'I know it's queer for me to ask, but we have to move. "'They are going to build an apartment house where we are renting now, and Mother is sick. "'I should like to get her out into the country.' Our house is so little and dark, and I thought, if she could be all summer where she could see the sky and hear the birds, she might get well. I want to get my little sisters and brothers out of the city, too. But we couldn't likely pay enough rent. I suppose it was silly of me to ask. Not at all, said the young man courteously, as though she had been a queen whom he delighted to honor. I don't see why we shouldn't be able to get together on some kind of a proposition. "'That is, unless Father has other plans that I don't know about. "'A barn ought not to be worth such a big price. "'How much would you feel like paying?' "'He was studying the girl before him with interested eyes, "'noting the well-set head on the pretty shoulders, "'even in spite of the ill-fitting, shabby blue coat, "'the delicate features, the glint of gold in the soft brown hair, "'the tilt of the firm little chin, "'and the wistfulness in the big blue eyes.' This was a new kind of girl, and he was disposed to give her what she wanted if he could. And he could. He knew well that anything he willed mightily would not be denied him. The frightened color came into the delicate cheeks again, and the blue eyes fluttered down ashamedly. "'We are only paying fifteen a month now,' she said, "'and I couldn't pay any more, for we haven't got it. I couldn't pay as much.' "'for it would cost sixty cents a week apiece "'for George and me to come into our work from there. "'I couldn't pay more than twelve, "'and I know that's ridiculous for such a great big beautiful place, "'but I had to ask.' "'She lifted her eyes swiftly in apology and dropped them again. "'The young man felt a glow of sympathy for her "'and a deep desire to help her have her wish. "'Why, certainly,' he said heartily. "'Of course you did, "'and it's not ridiculous at all for you to make a business proposition of any kind.' "'You say what you can do, and we accept it or not, as we like. "'That's our lookout. "'Now, of course, I can't answer about this until I've consulted Father, "'and not knowing the place well, I haven't the least idea what it's worth. "'It may not be worth even twelve dollars. "'He made a mental reservation that it should not be, if he could help it. "'Suppose I consult with Father and let you know. "'Could I write or phone you? "'Or will you be around this way any time tomorrow?' Shirley's breath was fairly gone with the realization that he was actually considering her proposition in earnest. He had not laughed at her for wanting to live in a barn, and he had not turned down the price she offered as impossible. He was looking at her in a kindly way, as if he liked her for being frank. "'Why, yes,' she said, looking up shyly. "'I can come in tomorrow at my noon hour, if that would not be too soon. I always have a little time to myself then, and it isn't far from the office.' "'That will be perfectly all right for me,' smiled young Graham. "'I shall be here till half-past one, and you can ask the boy to show you to my office. "'I will consult with Father the first thing in the morning, and be ready to give you an answer. "'But I am wondering if you have seen this barn. "'I suppose you have, or you would not want to rent it. "'But I should suppose a barn would be an awfully unpleasant place to live, "'kind of almost impossible. "'Are you sure you realize what the proposition would be?' "'Yes, I think so,' said Shirley, looking troubled and earnest. "'It is a beautiful big place, and the outlook is wonderful. "'I was there to-day and found a door open at the back, and went in to look around. "'The upstairs middle floor is so big, 
We could make several rooms out of it with screens and curtains. It would be lovely. We could live in picnic style. Yes, I'm sure Mother would like it. I haven't told her about it yet, because if I couldn't afford it, I didn't want to disappoint her. So I thought I would wait till I found out. But I'm just about certain she would be delighted. And anyhow, we've got to go somewhere. I see, said this courteous young man, trying not to show his amazement and delight in the girl who so coolly discussed living in a barn with curtains and screens for partitions. He thought of his own luxurious home and his comfortable life, where every need had been supplied even before he realized it, and, wondering again, was refreshed in soul by this glimpse into the brave heart of the girl. "'Then I will expect you,' he said pleasantly, and opening the door, escorted her to the elevator, touching his hat to her as he left her. Shirley would not have been a normal girl if she had not felt the least flutter in her heart at the attention he showed her, and the pleasant tones of his voice. It was for all the world as if she had been a lady dressed in broadcloth and fur. She looked down at her shabby little serge suit, that had done duty all winter with an old gray sweater under it, half in shame and half in pride in the man who had not let it hinder him from giving her honor. He was a man. He must be. She had bared her poverty-stricken life to his gaze, and he had not taken advantage of it. He had averted his eyes, and acted as if it were just like other lives and others' necessities, and he had made her feel that she was just as good as any one with whom he had to deal. Well, it was probably only a manner, a kind of refined, courteous habit he had, but it was lovely, and she was going to enjoy the bit of it that had fallen at her feet. On the whole, Shirley walked the ten blocks to her narrow little home, feeling that she had had a good day. She was weary, but it was a healthy weariness. The problem, which had been pressing on her brain for days and nights, too, did not seem so impossible now, and hope was in her heart that somehow she would find a way out. It had been good to get away from the office and the busy monotony, and go out into the wide, open out-of-doors. It was good also to meet a real nobleman, even if it were only in passing and on business. She decided not to tell her mother and the children of her outing yet, not until she was sure there were to be results. Besides, it might only worry her mother the more, and give her a sleepless night if she let out the secret about the barn. One more little touch of pleasantness there came to make this day stand out from others as beautiful. It was when she turned onto Chapel Street, and was swinging along rapidly, in order to get home at her usual time, and not alarm her mother, that a car rolled quickly past to the middle of the block, and stopped just under a street light. In a moment more, a lady came out of the door of a house, entered the car, and was driven away. As she closed the car door, Shirley fancied she saw something drop from the lady's hand. When Shirley reached the place, she found it was two great, luscious pink rosebuds that must have slipped from the lady's corsage and fallen on the pavement. Shirley picked them up almost reverently, inhaling their exotic breath and taking in their delicate curves and texture. Then she looked after the limousine. It was three blocks away and just turning into another street. It would be impossible for her to overtake it, and there was little likelihood of the ladies returning for two roses. Probably she would never miss them. Shirley turned toward the house, thinking she ought to take them in, but discovered that it bore the name of a fashionable modiste, who would, of course, not have any right to the roses, and Shirley's conscience decided they were meant by providence for her. 
so happily she hurried on to the little brick house bearing the wonderful flowers to her mother she hurried so fast that she reached home ten minutes earlier than usual and they all gathered around her eagerly as if it were some great event the mother calling half fearfully from her bedroom upstairs to know whether anything had happened she was always expecting some new calamity like sickness or the loss of their positions by one or the other of her children nothing at all the matter mother dear called shirley happily as she hung up her coat and hat and hugged doris i got off earlier than usual because mr barnard had to go away just see what a beautiful thing i have brought you found it on the street dropped by a beautiful lady you needn't be afraid of them for she and her limousine looked perfectly hygienic and it wasn't stealing because i couldn't possibly have caught her aren't they lovely by this time she was up in her mother's room with doris and carol following close behind exclaiming in delight over the roses she kissed her mother and put the flowers into a glass beside the bed you're looking better tonight i believe dear said the mother i've been worried about you all day you were so white and tired this morning oh i'm feeling fine mother dear said shirley gaily and i'm going down to make your toast and poach you an egg while carol finishes getting supper george will be here in ten minutes now and harley ought to be in any minute he always comes when he gets hungry my i'm hungry myself let's hurry carol doris darling you fix mother's little table all ready for her tray put on the white cloth take away the books set the glass with the roses in the middle very carefully you won't spill it will you darling doris all smiles at the responsibility accorded her promised no i ain't spill it i'll move it carefully there was something in shirley's buoyant air that night that lifted them all above the cares that had oppressed them for weeks and gave them new hope she flew around getting the supper things together making her mother's tray pretty and taking little extra pains for each one as she had not felt able to do before carol caught the contagion and mashed the potatoes more carefully so that there wasn't a single lump in them goodness but it's been hot in this kitchen all day shirley said carol i had the back door open but it just seemed stifling i got the ironing all done except a tablecloth and i guess i can finish that this evening i haven't got much studying to do for tomorrow. nellie waite stopped and left me my books i don't believe i'll have to stay at home another day this week mother says she can get along i can leave her lunch all ready and doris can manage shirley's conscience gave a sudden twinge here had she been sitting under a lovely tree by a brook eating her lunch and dreaming foolish daydreams about living in a barn while carol stayed at home from school and toiled in the kitchen perhaps she ought to have come home and sent carol back to school and yet perhaps that nice young mr graham would be able to do something she would not condemn herself until the morrow anyway she had tried to do her best she had not gone off there selfishly just to have a good time by herself when her dear ones were suffering it had been for their sake then george came in whistling and harley banged in gaily a minute later calling to know whether supper was ready cause i got a date with the fellows this evening and i gotta beat it he declared impatiently the shadow of anxiety passed over shirley's face again at that but she quieted her heart once more with her hopes for to-morrow if her plan succeeded harley would be away from the fellows and wouldn't have so many questionable dates to worry them all george was in a hurry too gee shirley i gotta be at the store all evening he said bolting his food hurriedly i wouldn't to come home only i knew you'd worry and mother gets so upset 
Gee, Shirley, what we got to do about a house? It's getting almost time to move. I went to all those places you suggested at noon today, but there wasn't a vacant spot anywhere. There's some rooms on Loudon Street, but there's all sorts in the house. Mother wouldn't like it. It's dirty besides. I suppose if we looked long enough we could find rooms, but we'd have to get along with only two or three, for they come awful high. We'd have to have three anyway, you girls and mother in one, us boys in the other, and one for parlor and kitchen together. Gee, wouldn't that be fierce? I ought to get a better job. We can't live that way. Don't worry, George. I think we'll find something better, said Shirley, with a hopeful ring in her voice. I've been thinking out a plan. I haven't got it all just arranged in my mind yet, but I'll tell you about it pretty soon. You don't have school tomorrow night, do you? No, I thought not. Well, maybe we can talk it over then. You and I will have to go out together and look up a place, perhaps. And she smiled an encouraging smile and sent him off to his school happily. She extracted a promise from Harley that he would be in by nine o'clock, discovered that he was only going to a movie show around the corner with one of the fellows who was going to stand treat on account of a wonderful ball game they had won, found out where his lessons were for the morrow, promised to help him when he returned, and sent him away with a feeling of comfort and responsibility to return early. She washed the dishes and ironed the tablecloth so Carol could go to her lessons. Then she went up and put Doris to bed with a story about a little bird that built a nest in a tall, beautiful tree that grew beside the place where the little girl lived a little bird that drank from a little running brook and took a bath on its pebbly shore and ate the crumbs and berries the little girl gave it and sat all day on five little blue eggs harley came in at five minutes after nine and did his lessons with her help george came home just as they finished he was whistling though he looked tired he said the prof had been the limit all the evening Shirley fixed her mother comfortably for the night and went at last to her own bed, more tired than she had been for weeks, and yet more happy. For through it all she had been sustained by a hope, inspired by a cultured, pleasant voice, and eyes that wanted to help and seemed to understand. As she closed her eyes to sleep, somehow that pleasant voice and those kind eyes mingled with her dreams and seemed to promise relief from her great anxieties. It was with a feeling of excitement and anticipation that she dressed the next morning and hurried away. Something was coming, she felt sure, some help for their trying situation. She had felt it when she knelt for her usual prayer that morning, and it throbbed in her excited heart as she hurried through the streets to the office. It almost frightened her to feel so sure, for she knew how terrible would be the disappointment if she got her hopes too high. There was plenty to be done at the office, a great many letters to answer, and a telegram with directions for Mr. Barnard. But she worked with more ease than for some time, and was done by half-past eleven. When she took the letters out to Mr. Clegg to be signed, he told her that she would not be needed the rest of the day, and might go at once if she chose. She ate her bit of lunch hurriedly, and made herself as fresh and tidy as was possible in the office. Then she took her way to the fourth floor of the Ward Trust Building. With throbbing heart and glowing cheeks, she entered the office of Walter Graham and asked for Mr. Sidney Graham. The office boy had evidently received instructions, for he bowed most respectfully this time and led her at once to the inner office. End of chapter 3